Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to Off in the S's, a podcast focusing on the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. I'm your host, Stu, and on today's show, photo finishes a new GTP era and huge crowds are just a few storylines to emerge from this year's Rolex 24. But there were definitely a couple of things that flew under the radar. I'm going to take you through eight key takeaways from this year's Rolex 24. I really think one of the most surprising things that we didn't see in this year's Rolex 24 that really everybody thought we were going to see were some GTP reliability issues. With the 2023 Rolex 24 being the first race for these new LMDH cars under race conditions, we really expected to see kind of a flurry of reliability issues, equipment failures, but that never really seemed to come to fruition. Now, all four manufacturers did have issues at one point or another during the race, whether that be with a spec part actually failing or just another part that they encountered a problem with that never arose during testing. But overall, I think we can say that it was a good start to this new GTP era from a reliability perspective. And especially considering the lack of testing that some of these teams actually got to do in the offseason and leading up to this race, it really is impressive that it wasn't more of an issue. Even Acura, who would go on to finish first and second in the race, they actually, their longest previous run in testing was four or five hours leading into the Rolex. And despite this lack of a long run, they would go on to have both cars complete the Rolex and, of course, finish first and second, with their only real issue being concerning temperatures in the gearbox of the race-winning number 60 Meyershank racing entry. Cadillac, meanwhile, had a really clean bill of health for the entire race. The only real issue for Cadillac came with the number 31, and that was due to some suspension damage. This was actually sustained during some contact during the race, though, so I remember wouldn't really call that a reliability issue. Say what you will about BMW, they had their longest run of continuous testing during this race, and uh, they actually really suffered minimal issues as well. Now, I know infamously very early on in the race, that number 25 had the first real issue for any of the GTP class cars, but that was the result of an MGU failure, which is a spec part and is outside of BMW hands. It would also go on to later have a gearbox issue, also a spec part, but it wouldn't stop them from running. It just prevented them from being able to use second gear. And the number 24 really had nothing major outside of a brake change due to excessive brake wear. This may have been the result of some other issues with the car, but still a pretty minor thing in the grand scheme of things. Really, when you sit back and think about it, although I know their pace wasn't there, they have to be pleased, all things considered, coming out of the longest test that they've done with no real significant reliability issues. Porsche, on the other hand, well, they arguably had the most issues of anybody in the class. The number six was the only LMDH car that fully retired from the race after they experienced a spectacular gearbox failure on the number six entry. Meanwhile, the number seven ran into battery issues, yet another spec part. In addition to that, they also suffered from a broken water pipe which brought the car into the garage once again. And with this water pipe issue, uh, Porsche LMDH factory director, Urs Kirtle, he told Sports Car 365 this is the first time that they ran into this issue at all with all of the testing that Porsche had done. You'll recall, Porsche had done the most testing of any of the LMDH competitors. So 
If this was the first time they encountered the issue, I really don't think this is a, a big issue going forward and probably just a one-off issue. When it's all said and done, it really wasn't ideal to see all the spec part issues that we had, but you have to be leaving Daytona confident and, uh, and pleased with the lack of reliability issues that we saw in this 24-hour race, especially considering that this was the first time that two of these manufacturers had completed really anything longer than a 12-hour test. From current GTP entries to future GTP entries, Lamborghini has confirmed that they will only be entering one of their new LMDH entries in the 2024 IMSA season, and actually further define just one entry for the Michelin Endurance Cup. The Italian brand announced their LMDH plans in May of 2022, and the Ligier-based car will feature a twin-turbo V8 engine developed by Squadra Corsa. They would later go on to announce that the program would be run by Iron Lynx in both the World Endurance Championship and IMSA. Now, Lamborghini head of motorsport Giorgio Senna told Sportscar 365 that they're going to be taking a little bit more of a gradual approach to introducing the car to IMSA, and that they do plan to have two cars for the 2025 Rolex 24 after a gradual rollout with the one entry in the 2024 Michelin Endurance Cup season. He also mentioned that they expected this new Lamborghini LMDH to start testing in Europe over the summer with it making its way over to North America for further testing towards the end of the summer. One of the biggest storylines coming out of the Rolex was just the raw pace that Acura showed not just in the race but over the entire Rolex weekend. Acura dominated the entire weekend going on to take pole and then following that up with a first and second place performance in the 24-hour race. Between their two entries, the number 10 Wayne Taylor Racing and the number 60 Meyer Shank Racing Acura, they would go on to lead 428 of 783 laps, which is about 55% of the race. And really, they looked to be the fastest cars all race long, especially that number 60. The only real exception came when the number 60 appeared to lose a little bit of pace throughout the night and into the early morning hours. However, it would later be revealed that the number 60 was dealing with those elevated gearbox temperatures at that time and they were actually trying to dial the pace back a little bit in order to try and conserve the car. However, when all the dust settled, the data was right there to back up the Acura dominance. They were the fastest cars by a pretty good margin for the entire weekend. In fact, Avery Hage, or at Avery Hage on Twitter, hopefully I pronounced your name right there, Avery, <laughs> he tweeted these fastest lap times that were put out in the race by the GTP competitors, and my goodness, the uh, the number 60 of Tom Blomquist was flying, putting up a fastest time of a 135.616. He actually had the 10 fastest lap times posted in the race. And it's also insane to think that the next closest car was actually the number 01 of Ranger van de Zander, And he ran a 135.913, which was almost three tenths back of Tom Blomquist. Acura sure was lightning fast, and it's going to be interesting to see how that pace translates to a very different track in Sebring. LMP3 was a talking point this year, but not for the same reason as years past. This year, it was reliability issues for them, as only the number 17 class-winning Duquesne did not encounter any issues throughout this race. I'm going to quickly run through some of the issues that plagued this nine-car class. 
The number 33 Sean Creech Motorsports entry had gearbox and electrical issues, but they rebounded for a second place finish. Meanwhile, performance tech were plagued by brake and clutch issues. The sister car to the race winning number 17, the number 13 AWA entry, well, they had plenty of issues on their own, mostly stemming from on-track incidents, including the collision of the into the rear of the number 01 Cadillac earlier in the race. However, this was at no fault of their own. The JDC Miller Motorsports LMP3 entry suffered from broken suspension, and the Fast MD LMP3 experienced some issues throughout the entire race and ultimately retired right near the end after getting rear-ended in the final hour. The Andretti Autosports entry, well, they encountered an engine failure, as did the Riley Autosports number 74. And arguably the most spectacular retirement was for the number 43 MRS entry, which actually caught fire on the NASCAR banking. Meanwhile, in LMP2, well, they had a pretty normal race. They suffered from some mechanical issues as well as Era Motorsports lost an engine and some cars in the class experienced crashes as, as they do. Specifically for that number 11 TDS racing entry, it was driven by Stephen Thomas at the time. But for the most part, pretty normal race. It wasn't until the late going, thanks to a couple of late safety cars, that really the battle started heating up in this class. And I mean, we know where we're going here. The ultimate result was the closest race finish in Rolex 24 history. Yes, the margin of victory was 16 one thousandths of a second, which is just about half of the cl previous closest finish, which was between the two Corvettes in the GTLM category of the 2016 Rolex. And man, oh man, there sure were a lot of people there to witness the closest finish in Rolex history, as many people were saying that this was the highest attended Rolex that they've ever been at. Everyone from the commentators to team personnel and longtime fans, they all expressed that this was the most attended race that they have seen in Rolex 24 history. Team owner Chip Ganassi actually said, I think there were more people at the Roar than at the last bunch of Rolexes we've been to, so hats off to wh whoever is in charge of that. It's changed in a big way. In fact, Daytona International Speedway actually announced that it is the largest crowd to ever have attended a Rolex. Although, with this, they wouldn't release official numbers. But we can use the TV ratings to see what they have to say as well. Numbers were up across the board on the TV side as well as USA Network. They reported an almost 24% increase in viewership from last year. And NBC also reported that they saw an average of 360,000 TV-only viewers between NBC and USA Network. They also announced that they saw a peak viewership of 1.2 million. IMSA TV totaled 1.5 million live streaming hours, which is a 25% year-over-year increase, which certainly is an impressive start to this new LMDH era. And these larger numbers, well, IMSA's looking to carry that over to their social media as well, and in particular with their new YouTube series called Win the Weekend. I personally have absolutely loved the first couple of episodes that they've put out in that series, and I will link to that in the show notes. During the Rolex weekend, Corvette fully unveiled their new GT3 competitor that will take part in next year's Rolex 24. The Corvette Z06 GT3R that was unveiled at Daytona was previously announced as the replacement for the current C8R 
that has competed in the GTLM class before being adapted to run in the GTD Pro class. With the announcement, it was also unveiled that Corvette Racing will support its customer efforts next year with a pool of factory drivers. Now, this announcement of the factory driver pool has called into question the future of the factory Corvette program. When asked about it, GM Sports Car Racing General Manager Laura Wontrop Clauser said that the future of the factory Corvette program is, quote, still being defined. At the announcement, it was also unveiled that Rebel Rock Racing will be the first confirmed Corvette customer team. Heading into this season, Rebel Rock Racing has previously competed for the last five years in the Michelin Pilot Challenge, operating the Chevy Camaro GT4R, where they've actually had a fair amount of success. This is going to be a big but exciting step up for that team. Also set to be unveiled very shortly, actually at Super Sebring, is the new Ford Mustang GT3. The car, which was previously digitally unveiled in September, is set to see its first testing laps in the coming weeks. And from future GTD cars to current ones, there sure were some talking points coming out of Daytona in the GT ranks. Most notably, just how much all of those new cars were off the pace. The Porsche, Ferrari, and new Lamborghini were all significantly off the pace, while the new for 2022 BMW was also very considerably off the pace. This really just boils down to the BOP and how far off that BOP was. At the top end, it was a heck of a lot closer with Aston Martin, Mercedes, Lexus, and Acura, among others, duking it out for the lead. And in fact, the fastest lap of the weekend for those GT cars was run by a Mercedes. It was a 145.541. And while this lap was probably heavily influenced by some drafting that was taking on, maybe to the tune of around half a second. We're still going to use that as our baseline to compare the other cars. The fastest lap set by Lamborghini was a 146.689, which was 1.1 seconds off the pace. The quickest Ferrari was a 147.152, which was 1.6 seconds back. The quickest Porsche was a 148.165. Yes, they didn't even break into the 147s, and they were 2.6 seconds off the pace. And the quickest BMW was a 147.244, which was 1.6 seconds off the pace. It's really not that hard to tell here that some of these cars were so off the pace that they could not, they didn't even have a chance when the green flag dropped. And really, that was pretty disappointing to see. You never want to see cars excluded from battling for the win just based off their BOP pace going into the race. I think it's safe to say that IMSA has quite a bit of work to do in order to make this better. And in fact, they do have a sanctioned test that's going on right now at the time of recording of this video. Really hoping that they're gonna come up with an improved BOP going into Sebring. Now that BMW GT3 was not the only Bimmer that was off pace this race. Their GTP entry struggled mightily as well. Make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss my next video where I'm going to dig into a little bit deeper what went wrong for BMW. That's going to wrap this one up though. Before you go, you can go and check us out on Twitter at OffInTheSs or if you want to check out the video version of the podcast, you can head over to YouTube and just search for OffInTheSs. Once again, thanks for tuning in. I hope everyone has a great race weekend and doesn't go off in the S's.